Zephyrs and gales. Get upset at the temperature differentials. Avoid capture in the sails of Holland. And be sure to deposit just a bit of grit into the picnic goer's ice cream. Because it's time to talk tall to me. I once performed as the voice of the wind in a circus piece. That sounds absolutely right, everything you just said to me. Some of my best work. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. I am Omen Said. I am Nick McGill. Together, we are Feckless Momes. And this is Talk Tall to Me. A breezy swoosh through the skies of prog rock in which Nor'easter Nick and Ozone Omen will not stop until we have blown off the dust from every single track that legendary band Jethro Tull has ever recorded. We will waft across Dee Palmer's delicate fingers, sleet on John Evans' Petunia Garden, and muddy Martin Barr's meticulously maintained mountain meadow. But most importantly, we will hope that through our efforts we can thaw the cold winter heart of writer, flautist, and poet, the Scottish Ice Storm himself, Ian Anderson. Ian, the Scottish Ice Storm Anderson. That's Love it. it. Oh, yeah. nice. So, Nick, bit of a momentous episode here today. That it is. We have reached the culmination of the album proper as it was written and performed, oh, math number of years ago, 1978. We uh, still have a good month of bonus content to follow after this while still staying in, in the heavy horses. 43 months of heavy horses left. 40, 43 years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that was math lag. We've got uh, the end of heavy horses. But prior to that, as is custom, by the time we reach the end of the album, we also throw in a little sleeping with the dogs in midwinter. We've got our contribution from art correspondent Jesse Winter here to discuss the album artwork for Heavy Horses. To which we are very much looking forward. Let us look forward to such presently. Hello, 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 tall family. Good evening. This is Jesse Winter, beaming in from uh, New York City, 1010 Studios, in Long Island City, Queens, specifically. And it's an honor to be here talking about one of my dearest and favorite and obsess-worthy albums in the many incredible works of Jethro Tull. I'm going to talk about the, uh, the album art and give you some sort of analysis from my limited expertise. Okay, the album cover. Look, it's a, it's a photograph on a, on a, like a hunter green, nice, rich, deep green, very organic, and this like uh, art deco-y font, and this art deco-y border, this decorative border around the photograph or the confidence into the image scape, which is Ian Anderson, clearly, although he doesn't look like a, a, a traditional uh, person that might be moving around with these horses. He looks dressed a little bit too uh, kind of country sophisticated or something. And so it's a little awkward, to be honest, because it's like, all right, this guy's walking these horses around. I mean, he just looks like a, a well-off uh, noble. I was starting to obsess and listen to them and did a lot of work. But these horses are beautiful. And the, you know, I love his beard and this little, I don't know what this, he's got like kind of a, it's sort of a tie thing, like a bandana kind of thing wrapped around his neck. But it's not a bandana. There's there's definitely a word for this and, and, and I don't know. But there's, what I realized on this cover, that the texture Around the photograph is a little rough, and it's it's toothy, a little bit toothy. But then the photo is smooth, and the lettering, Jethro Tull, 
with these little decorations and heavy horses is embossed. And I can, I can rub my fingers across these letters and so like such a nice little detail to emboss these letters here. This just raise them up a bit off the photograph, separate, and it's tantalizing. There is a quote, bring me a wheel of oak and wood, a rain of polished leather, a heavy horse, and a tumbling sky brewing heavy weather. And it's just like, I can see it, the clouds, countryside, and there's horses, and this was nothing like my life. Little liberal college town that I was living in, but it was cool because I could go there. Let me flip the cover over real quick. I'm going to look on the back. And, and just to say again, the Art Deco, it's continued, same sort of thing on the back with the, this kind of period font, period vibe, turn of the century thing going on. There's another photograph, completely different though. I mean, he's with the whole band wearing tuxedos, sitting in the corner of an office. There's window light and they're holding beverages, which seem to be like a, like a little bit of wine or something. And it just is, is completely different than what I'm getting on the front cover. So it seems kind of random, but it's interesting and, and it makes me curious, right? And so Barrymore Barlow is off to the side with some rugby cleats, I believe, and uh, some knee-high socks just kind of squeaking out inside of, the, of this desk. And there's all this rich wood, oak or something. Only Ian Anderson and John Glasscock, excuse me, the um, rest in peace, the bassists are looking at the camera. Everybody else is looking at each other. It seems super forced and not comfortable and not natural and not organic and not authentic, but that doesn't matter. I mean, Ian Anderson's looking at me right now, not in that kind of quizzical, awkward, curious look that he does so much, but he's look, he's kind of beaming through me right now because he's I'm sorry, Ian, that I'm picking your photograph. I'm just being honest, man, okay? I'm sorry. Apologies aside, he's staring me down. I like it, though. I, li- I like the look, and I-, and I like the intensity that's happening. Because he's passionate. And John Glasscock looks like he's having a good time. He's kind of relaxed. Everybody's wearing a hat except for drummer Barry McBarney. Now, the- on the credits, we have a front cover photograph credit for James Collier, but we also have back cover photograph Shona Anderson. And this credit is almost as big as Ian Anderson for the producer credit, and bigger than all the other credits. So, I get what you're trying to say. Your new wife took this photograph and you had to you had to put her on the album, make her part of the creative team. I get it, and I can appreciate that. You were in love, and, uh, starting a life together in the country, far away from the broken down um, apartments and uh, whatever pilfering you were doing, you know, 11 years prior, trying to get a start, man. I mean, it's incredible. And you're making this music that, you know, was completely um, out of the mainstream, but it was, it was also out of the trend at the time. And so you're doing something different. And that's why I love you from the bottom of my heart. This album is dead. I'm going to read a little. There's a little uh, homage kind of thing at the bottom. This album is dedicated to Highland, Welsh Mountain, Shetland, Fell, Dales, Cleveland, and the other indigenous working ponies and horses of Great Britain who, however tiny or great in stature, can truly count themselves as being amongst our heavy horses. Also, lupus, fur, tigger, mistletoe and of course shona and young master james he was a new father maybe his kid was about the same age that i was that's pretty cool and uh, i don't know who lupus fur tigger or mistletoe are but we're just going to wonder about that i'm guessing we're cats that's going to be not an answer that we're going to have unless we call it in ourselves and, and get some truth out of this and finally to talk about the, the theme of the heavy horses and how this came about, I had to ring up my research partner, uh, Chicago Ross, and he went into the Ballad of Jethro Tull to look through this chapter because there's all these great photographs of this photo shoot where Ian Anderson's at a stable and he's walking around and like, you know, carrying these horses around and, and there's much 
I think, much cooler kind of photographs that work as like a, a little photo story or this, this day that they that they had. And uh, those people were also credited with thanks to Barley and Sir Jim, courtesy of the Courage Shire Horse Center. What the Ballad of Jethro Tull basically tells us is that Shona Anderson loved these horses. Ian Anderson was interested in agriculture, interested in farming, and wanted, much like we could perceive, he was out of style. Maybe he was worried that he was going to be relegated into uh, not being a working musician, you know, a celebrated part of society, not being useful to anyone. Maybe there's a little bit of uh, insecurity there. The reality is, is that these horses were going to be extinct if people didn't privately breed them, and they didn't breed them for uh, racing or for money. They bred them for the love. And as we know, Ian Anderson and Jethro Tull make their music for the love. And I love all my Tull family, and I love everybody who listened to this, and it's an honor and a privilege. Thank you, Omen. Thank you, man. And cheerio. Thank you, Jesse, as always, for putting the work in for that. So we don't have to. Thank you so much, Jesse. Though your last name is Winter, your affection for Jethro Tull is warm indeed. So there are two things I want to pull out of that. That's so funny, Nick, because there are two things that I want to pull out of that. Is it the pet names and Shona? Is that it? Oh, okay. Well, pet names. Lupus has to be the dog protecting James. I would imagine, yeah. Yeah. And the others are probably random feral cats that he inherited <laughs> when he moved into the, the farmhouse. Semi, semi-feral. Semi, semi-feral, semi-domesticated. And uh, ooh, the, the drama of Shona being top, top-notch credits for the, the back photo. My guess is that Shona was hanging around backstage and she was like, guys, guys, let's take a picture. She fan- she fancied herself a photographer and maybe she was. And she she took a picture and I don't think that, granted, I haven't seen the photo, but my guess is this was not shot specifically for this back album, but Shona had ended up taking a picture. Ian said, hey, we need a back cover. And they picked through pictures that Shona had taken. You know, I think... I just have to say, I I feel like there's a lot of shade being thrown at Shona. No, 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 no. But I think, I think just because she took a the picture for the back of the cover, I don't. I'm not entirely sure her. She should get top billing credits. You know. I think that she. It is representative, as Jesse said, that she does have top billing in Ian's heart. I mean, yes. And Ian has creative control. So bada bing, bada boom. There it is. Why not? It's what we call now a shout-out. Yeah. The top billing shout-out of Shona Anderson. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Two points that I want to bring up Uh are two things that Jesse mentioned. The first is about fashion. Do we have a fashion sting? I'm pretty sure this is the only time that we've ever discussed fashion. New fashion sting coming soon. It it has to be black um, gold gold tip boots. Gold tip boots, black jacket and tie. Wearing gold tip boots, black jacket and tie. Black jacket and tie. Black jacket and tie. Black jacket and tie. That's really good. But there's a Bowie song called Fashion, so I was thinking about that. But this is not a David Bowie podcast, so. Yeah, that's right. So, regarding the outfit that Ian Anderson is wearing on the front cover, Jesse says that he feels he looks out of place. I think that is that is due to our American perspective, which is an association of what working people wear. However, in England, especially at the sort of turn-of-the-century time that Ian is fond of imitating, there was uh, the tweed suit. And the tweed mm-hmm. suit was conceived by royalty but made its way down through all of the working peoples in the country and became almost a standard uniform if you look at pictures 
you know, people working in the earlier part of the 20th century and the late part of the 19th century, everyone, carpenters, masons, farmers, they wear jackets. They wear, you mm. know, collared jackets. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the tweed jacket and vest combo that we see Ian wearing is perfectly indicative of his relationship to the working farm and his status as a landowner. He's wearing the uniform. He is. He's really, he's dressed for the part. He's put on the garb of the country squire. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that, and this is actually something that I was kicking myself with my steel shoes the other night as I was falling asleep that we didn't mention in the previous episode, which is exactly as Jesse pointed out. I do think that there is a resonance between the downgrading of the heavy horses, the the abandonment of the heavy horses, and the feeling that perhaps music was moving on from rock and roll, Mm. that there was punk and Mm -hmm. post-punk and and things were changing and Jethro Tull was doing something that was weird and old and, and maybe viewed as inefficient. And so the tractor is on its way felt to me as I was falling asleep the other night like, oh yeah, the the punk bands are, the post-punk and the hair metal bands, they're on their way and here we are. Right. At this point, there have been probably about two musical movements that have surpassed Tull from, from where they started. Sure. Yeah. So they, they are stalwart champions of their sound as opposed to continuing to to try to adjust with the times, which more often than not does not end well for an already established band. Right. You know what came out in 1978? 1978 was the year that... I got nothing. I don't know. What? You're the one that I want. Honey. Grease, baby. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're the one that I want. That's a little weird to actually think about those two being together at the same time. But yeah, yeah, that's peculiar. Okay, go ahead. All right. So there is a song, Nick, Mm -hmm. a traditional Irish song called Bonnie Portmore, Mm. which is an Irish lament, which speaks of the demise of Ireland's old oak forests, specifically. Oh, interesting. The... Great Oak of Portmore. There was a specific tree. There was sometimes called the Great Oak or the Portmore Ornament Tree. It was a massive old tree. And it fell over in a windstorm in 1760 and was then chopped up for shipbuilding. So at the time, shipbuilding was a massive thing. And the English had, of course, taken over, colonized Ireland, and were chopping down all the trees that could be found for making ships, which, of course, led to England's dominance at sea. Sure, sure. But for the local people, that was a massive loss. Yeah. There is still a tradition of naming like old world, old growth trees in in the UK. Like there there are some oh, Robin Hood tree. The Robin Robin Hood's tree. Crazy massive old ones that it's yeah. just oh amazing. Oh Bonnie Portmore, you shine where you stand, and the more I think on you, the more I think long. If I had you now, as I had once before, all the lords of old England would not purchase Portmore. O Bonnie Portmore, I'm sorry to see such a woeful destruction of your ornament tree, for it stood on your shore for many's the long day till the long boats from Antrim came to float it away. And all the birds in the forest, they bitterly weep, saying, Where shall we shelter, or where shall we sleep? For the oak and the ash, they are all cut and down, and the walls of Bonnie Portmore are down to the ground. Be 
So, all I'm saying with that is that it is a great song. Lorena McKenna has a beautiful version of it, and it is in tradition of laments. It is in it is within the established tradition of laments to mourn the things which one had before and now are past. And I think that Ian's dedication to the heavy horses is just absolutely a piece of history. And who knows? Who knows how many horse breeders, Nick? Who knows how many horse breeders, Nick? You, Who knows, uh, Nick, how many horse breeders are you, I, were inspired? Are you angry? Okay, I'm okay. sorry, I had a glitch. <laughs> were inspired by this song to actually go out and save varieties of horses. Yeah, I mean, all it takes sometimes is just becoming aware of something. Yeah, and getting impassioned about yeah, it, making yeah, yeah, an emotional yeah. connection. Yeah, for uh, for anyone interested in those amazing, ridiculous, giant old world trees, I I have a book. It's a it's a great big um. It's a coffee table book. The author is Beth Moon, and it's a book called Ancient Trees: Portraits of Time. Love it. And she goes around and finds all of these super ancient, unique old trees all all over the world yes and there are some and and it's it's really it's a gorgeous gorgeous book to just pick through and read about the history and like this book saw the 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 surviving of a a forest fire that decimated the country and things it's really fascinating i had the good fortune to meet a thousand year old or 800 year old tree in paris which is you know propped up and they've they moved a building so it wouldn't be in its way yeah and it's you know it's it's like oh wow yeah that tree was growing when the king got his head chopped off mm-hmm. and was not only growing but was like already 4000 uh, 400 years yeah old. yeah 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 things like that that it just just blow my mind just really so beautiful new. beautiful and amazing yes horses, horses. trees very good yep. what about the song of the day uh neither uh we're going we're going to go with neither of those and we're going to talk about weather and in particular the weathercock Indeed. Let's cock up our ears and have a listen. Let us do it. Nick, there we have my weathered cock. Nick, there we have weathercock. You are too old for that. I mean, you are too young for that, Omen. (laughs) Goodness. (laughs) First impressions, Nick, what does this song, like the blacksmith, do to you? It, I'm I'm a sucker for mandolin, so when I hear this song, especially this remix, the Steve Wilson remix, really pulls that mandolin forward. Yes. And boy, howdy, do I, I, I really enjoyed this song. It's not, on like cursory listening, it's not like, oh, it's so so moving it's not like heavy horses where it like really moves me but it's a great little tune it's really really nice Mm, yes not to say that there's not a deeper value if we can find it i'm not ruling that out but Mm. it's but following following something like heavy horses is kind of very different yeah those are big horseshoes to fill but it's also thinking <laughs> yes. about it as being the the closer for this album. It's really nice. It's a really good little closer. Yeah. I I think it is such an appropriate way of wrapping up the album. Mm-hmm. It is a song that I quite like. I mean, you know what I'm realizing, Nick, is that week after week I'm like, "Oh, actually, I really like this song." <laughs> yeah. I haven't uh-huh. I haven't encountered one that I'm There's maybe really not been that many that I've even been meh about, but I I do particularly like Weathercock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm prepared to tell you why. I would anticipate the description of said desires forthwith. I will acquiesce to your desired request to fulfill the brief. (laughs) (laughs) I need a ladder to get out of this one. (laughs) Before we, like, really dug super crazy deep into... This album, and therefore made every other one of the songs that much more uh, special to us, I think it's safe to say. Before going into this, what was your initial feeling uh, on Weathercock? Always very positive. I I actually think that Weathercock is one of the more 
positively messaged songs. Hmm. It's it's a more hopeful song sure. than the majority within the Tall Canon. Okay, it is a song that always filled me with hope. Okay, great, and and a sense of positive mystery rather than like deep, dark, dangerous mystery. Yeah, i.e., see the next album that is Stormwatch. Yeah, yeah, right. But this, yeah, this I, I've always enjoyed this song and. Great. Both musically and lyrically. Mm-hmm. So let's, uh, you want to talk talk musically now? Do I ever? Yeah, let us, let us. I think the winds of the podcast are blowing us to a point toward the direction of musical speakings, yes. So, <laughs> as you mentioned at the beginning, lovely mandolin. It's doubled oh, up with yeah. some acoustic guitar, uh-huh. I believe. And yep. the organ is mimicking a pipe or a flute yep. of some kind, uh-huh. giving us a, a delightful, fresh little melange of flavor there. A very, and very folk feel. It's very folk. And I yeah. think that is accentuated by the fact that the drum and bass holds off mm-hmm. all the way until after the first chorus. Yeah, I was going to say that sec where they, they jump in the, in the second set of verse. Yeah. The assembly reflect changes in the patterns of the sky. Or is it true to say the weather is Omen, what else do you have musically here about this? It is a simple observable fact, but it is nonetheless effective that the choruses differ from the verses in that they represent a switch from minor to major. And that's how you get that uplifting feel, that hopeful feeling in the Mm, chorus. mm Mm-hmm. I like and that it. more dark, pensive, brooding feel in the verses. Yeah, okay. Which feels the sense of, like you said, the sense of hope and the, the it goes back down into darkness, but it's also a, a changing of the weather. It's also the Absolutely, sun coming yeah. up, the clouds breaking. Yeah. At Put Us In Touch With Your Fair Wind, mm-hmm. Martin does my favorite riff in the song. so nice and and actually i think that that ian and martin share that riff uh with the acoustic and the electric yeah maybe they, they switch off at various points because that's mm-hmm. a repeated riff in the song okay we have after the first set of verses and chorus we have a lovely breakdown featuring the flute which we haven't heard up until that point in which ian runs through passionately the themes musically of the mm-hmm. song with the flute mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Accompanied by some military-style drumming by Barrymore Barlow. Yeah, that's right. We get military sound again. That's right. It's always something that I think, oh, well, that won't work. And then it's amazing. But it does, yeah. Yeah, it, it still feels slightly out of place, but not in a bad way, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it is it is noticeably different. I think that it fits thematically with the sense, in, which we'll get into in a minute, of the weathercock marshalling its forces against the impending winter. Mm, okay. And then after a repeat of the chorus, we have a fabulous breakdown featuring Martin Lancelot Barr. Mm-hmm. Your classic breakdown when Martin comes on. It's so good. And it's like, you know, he... I just think he's such a great guitarist. <laughs> he is. He absolutely is. You you need make no excuse, Omen. I, if I ever have a child, I'm not going to give them a teddy bear. I'm going to give them a, ted, a teddy bar. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you were going to name it Martin Lancelot Bar. Oh, well, that goes without saying. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> no, but I'm going to get a stuffed, plush, life-sized version of Martin, Martin Barr. Bar, yeah. Les Paul guitar included. An actual Les Paul, yeah. 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 Cuddle up to this pleasant dreams, we won. 
you will be continuing the the Sade father the tradition. tradition. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Wow. Before I say good night, let us reflect on the absence of a permanent sense of self. Good night. And instead of lullabies, it's just Martin Bar solos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Nick, mm-hmm. anything else to add musically? No, 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 no. I'm ready to uh, to dive in lyrically. I think one more thing. It's got. <laughs> I think it's got a polyrhythmic. It's got a a multi. It's got multiple time signatures. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's polyrhythm, right? Well, I don't know. I don't know enough about music. <laughs> I, I don't. don't know. I'm sure we'll be corrected. You remember the part in The Importance of Being Earnest where Lady Bracknell is like, in my opinion, a young man should know either everything or nothing. Which <laughs> do you know? And the guy who's courting her award is like, Lady Bracknell, I can assure you that I know nothing. My goodness. Oscar Wilde, right? He's so good. Oscar Wilde. So good. The wildest. All right. So, Nick, let's talk lyrics. Oh, and what is a weathercock? Ugh. Nick, I'm so glad you asked. Mm-hmm. A weathercock, also referred to as a weather vane, mm-hmm. from the Old English word fauna, meaning flag, is a device which shows the direction of the wind. And it is an extremely old piece of technology. I assume that the original one was just a leaf that someone put on a stick. <laughs> but they have been found in ancient Greece, ancient China. Some of them are very complex and the weather vane at the top moves a dial that is inside a building and corresponds to it moves water and all kinds of crazy stuff. Some of them literally are just a flag. So the oldest recording of a weather vane being in the shape of a rooster was from Brescia, Lombardy in Italy, which Pope Leo IV had placed on St. Peter's Basilica. Pope Gregory I then said that the cock was the most suitable emblem of Christianity. Huh. Okay. Because apparently in Luke twenty-two thirty-four, Jesus predicts that Peter will deny him three times before the rooster crows. Mm-hmm. For me, that's a bit of a deep cut. <laughs> but nonetheless, it didn't stop Pope Nicholas I in the ninth century from ordering that a weather vane in the shape of a cock be placed on every church steeple. So there begins the proliferation of the the weather cock, specifically. Why does that make it an emblem of Christianity if... Because it was in the Bible. Just just because... They mention pigs, they mention locusts. Could have been anything. They mention Leviathan. Ah. Weather. Uh, Imagine if we just had weather Leviathan, yeah. Well, and in lots of places, there are, you know, you can make a weather vane in any shape. There oh, are sure. dragons, there are uh-huh. ships, arrows, birds of various descriptions. That's true. That's true. You, beetles. However you want, whatever you want to tell you the direction of the wind, you'll find it. As long as you can make it flat, it'll work. That's it. Yeah. So, now, the fascinating thing, Nick, and this is part of the reason that I love this song, mm-hmm. is that after two albums of Ian playing with kind of these really old cultural narratives. Okay. And starting to blend in the modern as well. Mm-hmm. This is in our anthropomorphation. Anthropomorphism. Help me out, buddy. Anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. Oh, 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 God. Oh, Nick God, you ruined it. It's my braces. Anthropomorphization. There this falls into our anthropomorphization category. But... This is totally Ian Anderson. There is no, as far as I can tell, there is no traditional story or traditional narrative yeah. about the weathercock controlling the weather. Mm-hmm. This is Ian. This is pure Anderson. Yeah. And it's, I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure that it's ultimately the main thesis of this song. I feel that there is also just a, a level of of respect and acknowledgement of the importance of the weathercock as as a tool mm. particularly historically like back when you 
You couldn't look at your phone and see two weeks worth of weather coming up. If you woke up in the morning as a farmer and you, you looked up, you wouldn't generally know which way the weather was coming from. It would tell you because you know your land and the surrounding area so well. If it's coming from this way, you can expect rain or you can expect heavy wind or something like that. You're saying that the song could have easily have been, Good morning, barometer. Pretty much, yeah. Goodmorningweather.com. <laughs> that's a mashup that I would love to hear. Ultimately, that's that's what I'm going for here. Is that yeah. I, I, our our lives now are simply goodmorning.com. Yeah, yeah. Goodmorninganything.com. Yeah, but I I think there is some some fun playfulness about the weathercock potentially being able to control weather. But I also think there is a level of just respect and acknowledgement. I think that it is. Ian as an anthropomorphist. As as he is, yeah. Giving his perspective and really exploding in his mind the potential power of this object for which he has respect. I totally agree with you on that point. Mm. And I think there's something fascinating about if you take songs from the wood and heavy horses, put them back to back, it starts with a song... If you skip the title song, if you if you if you take Jack in the Green, it starts with a song about a creature that controls the weather, does his best mm. to control the weather and and help the plants survive the weather. And then at the other end, bookended, we have this figure controlling the weather in a different way. Mm-hmm. So you have two. You almost have the Janus face of two different sure. kinds of creatures who are interacting with the natural world in such a way to protect life, potentially. But but we've moved from, I'm absolutely certain of the power of Jack and the Green, to the doubt surrounding yeah. the weathercock. Yeah, and, and maybe, maybe there was some level of foresight and awareness to... At least these two albums, not maybe not necessarily throwing Stormwatch in there, but at least these two albums that the introductory song of Let Me Bring You Songs from the Wood, maybe that umbrella fits over Heavy Horses as well in a way. In which case we do have that intro for these two albums and then we have that really comfortable, convenient bookend. All conjecture, obviously. Oh, that's what we do here. But that's what we do. Good morning, Weathercock. How'd you fare last night? Did the cold wind bite you, or did you face up to the fright? Good morning, Weathercock. How'd you fare last night? Did the cold wind bite you, and did you face up to the fright? I love that there are so many questions in this song. Yeah, it's... It's obviously, like, rhetorical, but, I mean, I'm seeing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm seeing seven question marks. But ultimately, it's, say you're a farmer, you got nobody else, you talk to things, you you relate sure. to things. When something is so valuable and important to your livelihood in the time when you've got, like, a horse and a hoe and, and a weathercock... You know, you you put so much value into it that you treat it like a part of the family almost, you know? Isn't Horse Ho and a Weathercock the new Lil Nas X song? That is. It is, yeah. Mm. He um he does Love a collaboration with Ian Anderson, yeah. That's so great. So 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 forward thinking of Lil Nas X. <laughs> Back definitely backward thinking. <laughs> so then so we then we move from Questions to supplications. Mm-hmm. Give us direction. The best of goodwill. Put us in touch with fair winds. Sing to us softly. Hum evening song. And give us direction. The best of goodwill. Put us in touch with your fair winds. Sing to us softly. Hum evening song. Yeah, it's it's please do this for us. It's adding a little magic. It's adding a little religion almost to the feeling of this 
this character that may or may not be able to control the weather. I don't know if you can, but if you can, give us some good wind, would you? Yeah, it's almost, I mean, it. as you have said before, it is a form of animism. Yeah, 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 exactly. Something that is so, so crucial to your life. You, you give it that spirit and just on the off chance, just if it works, let's be nice to that spirit. Well, and as that object is an intermediary between your life and the weather, it makes a lot of sense because as a farmer and as a human being, we like to think now in a modern context of us being totally in control of everything. But as we are shown every single day, the earth will do things that are much bigger than us. Yeah. And here in his life in Buckinghamshire, he had the horses, he had various farm prospects. Even the tour itself can be affected by weather. Sure. And so he is hoping that the early winter won't come, that there will be fair winds, things that will help his his plans and projects and his life. And rather than speaking to the wind itself, he's speaking to the wind pope. <laughs> Yeah, the wind pope. Hey, put in a good word with the wind for me, would you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pay alms. And and with with weather and with these these big moments and actions that the earth produces, it's sometimes difficult not to see purpose in there. It's difficult oh, not to see like a decision, you know. We've talked before about the human mind's obsessive desire to read narrative into things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, give it entity. Yeah. There's also the sense of, you know, let's say that the weathercock is the highest point of the man-made architecture of his life in Buckinghamshire. Oh, sure. Yeah. There is also the sense that like, oh, I get to go in and go to bed and snuggle up with Shona and Mistletoe mm-hmm. and tuck in James. The weathercock has to stay out all night. Weathercock is doing its job 24-7 for me. It is sacrificing for me. Right. And there is a yeah. little bit of that sense. I'm, I mean, I think sacrifice is right. You know, we have Odin who sacrificed himself on the tree of knowledge. We have Jesus sacrificed on the cross. In a way, this is another sacrificial thing, which is pinned up on the highest point as an offering up to the sky mm. to provide a usefulness for humanity. Yeah. I just love that all of this came straight out of his imagination. You know, there isn't. There isn't any other, as far as I'm aware, any other kind of, you know, the weathercock story by J.K. Rowling or <laughs> yeah, I'm, Harry Cocker. Like an origin story, yeah. Right. I mean, we have the historical origin story, but it's not, you know, we don't have any like, oh, yes, the legend of the weathercock. Yeah, there's no lore, exactly. Yeah, that a, a, a rooster got turned to stone and forever thanked its its farmer for treating it so well that it decided to right. tell it the weather from from now on. You know? yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I, and, you know, maybe we should anthropomorphize technology more. I think it's fun, if nothing else. But the weathercock being so, so ancient and so crucial, I'm I'm frankly, I'm a little surprised there is no origin story. There is no myth behind it. I wonder if there are myths... In which weathercocks feature? I don't know. It's really, yeah, it is odd, isn't it? Yeah, they were invented in ancient China and Greece independently at around the same time during the second century. Well, because it is, not... it is such a, it is such a obvious thing. You know, you put, you put mm. a bit of grass up and the wind will show you which direction it's blowing. I mean, there's right. so many stories having to do with the wind. Sure, right, yeah. And and each the wind from each direction has its own name. Absolutely. Even. One of the ancient Greek weather vanes was a whole system where it, it moved a dial around which replaced the the eight gods of the winds of Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I mean I'm not I'm not seeing much. I'm just seeing I'm seeing a short history of the weather vane and why it's all generally a, a rooster, but I'm not seeing anything. I mean I'm there may be something out there. That may require a little a little digging. Use use Katie's um, JSTOR and find uh, find a couple of uh, doctoral thesis papers about weathercocks. I am seeing a story written or recorded by Hans Christian Andersen called "The Farmyard Cock and the Weathercock." Yeah, but that's that is an established weathercock that is interacting with 
a regular rooster. At least it, it, it does represent the anthropomorphism. It makes it talk. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's not uncommon at all. It seems like the moral of the story, the more literally the moral is says, better to crow than be vainglorious and break down at last. So at the end of it, it's like a conflict between the weathercock and the and the yardcock, and the other yardcock runs around and crows, and the weathercock is super firm and never moves. And at the end of the day, the weathercock breaks off and falls into the yard. So it's better to be a live rooster than a metal rooster. <laughs> That's the moral. Okay, I will take that to Thanks, heart. Hans. Thanks, Hans. <laughs> I'll get right on becoming a live rooster. <laughs> Nick, anything else on the subject of weathercock? I don't think so. I mean, it's really pretty pretty standard and simple and, and straightforward. I don't think it warrants too much more. I like that it makes us think ma- like a little bit magically realistically about things. Yeah. I can always deal with more magical realism. Yeah. Good morning, Fiat. <sighs> no. As this is marking the end of the album proper, Omen, what have you learned over the course of this album? Have you gotten a new appreciation for something? Have you gotten a new song, a new favorite song? Has anything been replaced, you know? I think I have gained a deeper appreciation for each of the songs. It has reconfirmed Journeyman as one of my favorite Tull songs ever. Mm -hmm. And I think that I more appreciate the historical personal context of Ian writing it in a country manner. It just makes it more satisfying in a way for me. Yeah. Because that's always what it felt like. Mm -hmm. But to have that confirmed by reality is really quite lovely. Nick, what about you? Uh, Likewise. Yeah, I think there were the one or two songs that always were just like mind-blowing and amazing for me. But those that... That kind of took the back burner when listening to this album. I definitely have a, a much greater appreciation for. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very. Very cool. So, Nick, now we are jumping off into the unknown, or at least I am. Mm-hmm. So, why don't you tell me what do we have? What is the weathercock of Talk Tall to Me pointing us in the direction of for next week? I think you may have heard this one before. Living in these hard times. Do you know that one? Different than Fallen On Hard. Yes. Yeah, different than that one. Yeah. I don't know that I have heard it. Okay. Well, you are in for potentially some new music alert next week. That's exciting. Until next week, we will point you in the direction that you need to go. The wind is at your back, blowing you toward Apple Podcasts so that you can leave us a five-star rating and review. Well said, Nick. We would love to come inside, but we can't because we are nailed to the top of this podcast. So all we ask is for you to send your thoughts upward to us occasionally and maybe write those thoughts down in the form of a positive review. Yeah. And after that, why don't you head on over to patreon.com slash talk to me and subscribe. Get in on the bonus content, Talk Tull With Me, Outtake Tull To Me, and, of course, everyone's favorite, the Discord server. That way you will always know where the winds of Tull are blowing. Yeah, and, and it's not just our hot air. It's everyone else's. It's everyone's hot air. <laughs> Until next week, I am the leaf on a stick that is Omen Said. I am the slightly more advanced ribbon on a stick, Nick McGill. We are the popes of prog rock pulling deep cuts for your pleasure, feckless moms. And this is the highest building on your farmland. Talk tell to me. I decree. Yes, yes, Pope Pius I, the most pious pope at all. I'm the only pious. 
The uh, first and only pious pope. Yes, yes, you have the bishop's attention. I decree that because the Bible mentions... Uh, a dog named yes. named Rufus. That all dogs yes. here hereforth shall be known as as Rufus. Yes, here, here, no. here, 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 here. Amen, amen, amen. We have a proposition from the Bishop of Wanksbury. Bishop of Wanksbury, what what is it? What is it? Mm, I kiss your hand. Oh, my- a little more saliva, please. Oh, oh yes. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Kiss your hand. Bishop of Wangsbury, what is it? What is it? Uh, yes, your Popeness, uh, I, have a, I have a proposition for a decree, which is because the Bible mentions asses... Yes, yes. ...that everyone in the, in the Holy Kingdom should show their asses... Uh, as much as possible and at all times. Yes. Uh, oh, here, here. Here, here, yes, yes, here. Yes, perhaps yes. take their uh, uncovered asses out into the street and, and to, to show them off to, to, to everyone to to enjoy. However, however, do remember, Bishop of Wagsbury, that uh, that our, our, our good our good bro Moses, our broses, if you will, mm. did, uh, did come down with a holy writ from his holiness, the God himself, and say, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's ass. Yes, well, the, the proposition that I'm suggesting is that if everyone can see each other's asses and thereby their own, then everyone will covet um, less. Yeah, yes. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Hmm. Bishop of Wangsbury, I shall knight you. You are now now forthwith the knighted yeah. Bishop <laughs> of Wangsbury. Yes. And here's my ass. Oh, oh, wonderful. Everyone asses out. Asses out. Um, uh, your Popeness? Yes, yes, we have one... We have time for one more, Archduke Bramblebottom. What is it? Yes. <clears throat> well, you see, because the Bible mentions moans, mm. um, I hereby want to propose that we decree that all feckless moans uh, be considered um, an audio network, and furthermore, that that Toctaltimi is a proud member thereof. I like where you're going. With that, I, I think we should take it the next step and condemn them to hell. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, here, here, perfect, here. Perfect. I think that a badger should be all the shapes of new bottles. Shut up, Jeremy. Oh, who let him in? <laughs>